everybody, and welcome to the opening day version of Mass Lives, the Fenway Rundown podcast. I'm the host, Chris Cotillo, and after being joined by the esteemed Dave Dombrowski last week, I am sorry to tell you that we have uh, just Matt Votor and Chris Smith with me this week. So um, obviously a letdown, but we actually have live, real baseball to talk about. So uh, I'm glad I'm going to be joined by these guys. Chris and Matt, how are you today? Good. Actually, technically, I've been around the Red Sox more in my life than Dave Dombrowski. So there you go. That's true. That is technically true. And, and you still work at Fenway Park and he doesn't. So that's another slight advantage you have. Obviously, this is, you know, we've been talking when we when I've had you guys on here before and obviously and what we've been writing and covering for the last few months about this day. Would this day ever come? What would it look like when it does? And obviously it's opening day. Now we're recording this on Thursday night, but by the time it goes live, it will be Friday opening day, and the Red Sox will be preparing for a 7:30 first pitch against the Baltimore Orioles. Nathan Avaldi, against all odds, will be on the uh, mound for the Red Sox against Tommy Malone, who is the Orioles' opening day starter with John Means out. Um, obviously, a lot to get to, but first, uh, after all the pessimism, after everything we've all been through, uh, after all the negotiations, all the pandemic-related concerns, even during the training camp over the last three weeks, we're here. We're at opening day. Well, I guess I'll start with Matt. I mean, how surprised are you that we are actually at this point and that it's actually going to happen? At least a little. I'm not. I, I, my biggest surprise will be if we see somebody holding up a World Series trophy at the end. Yeah. Um, I. The interesting thing for when you look at hockey and you look at basketball getting to the season once they're in the bubble in theory the the behavior that they're going to have and the things that are going to go on should bring the number of positive tests down if their bubbles work because mm -hmm. they're inside it but with baseball where there's no bubble and they're going to be traveling and interacting with each other and interacting with people that aren't baseball players in theory, the, those numbers are going to go up. So baseball is getting to a point where their things might be potentially a little scarier as opposed to with the other two sports where where the the hard part might be behind them. I think baseball I think baseball still has has a lot of bullets to dodge. Right. When summer camp started, I think there was concern that they wouldn't even get through that three week period. I think the numbers that came out about the number of positive tests during intake screening, the number of guys that tested positive, uh, even in the middle of camp, I think those were pretty encouraging. And other than, you know, the first week when there were some testing delays around the 4th of July where um, the Astros and the Nationals, the Angels, the A's, a few teams, Cardinals, didn't get their test results back and had to cancel workouts, it seems like, you know, Major League Baseball vowed at that point that they would cut those types of issues out. It wouldn't happen again. And Overall, I mean, there's been a couple bumps in the road here and there, but overall, I think it's been a uh, pretty effective sense. So Chris Smith, like me, you've been going to Fenway Park and covering these summer camp workouts in person. Obviously, the way we're doing our job is very different, kind of like the way everybody else is doing their job is very different. But um, they have to wear a mask the whole time we're there. We're not allowed anywhere near the players um, you know, or in the press box the whole time. Very regimented, very limited on where we can go. Temperature screening, symptom tests. Uh, I personally, and, and you know, I'm not high risk, just like you're not. And we're both young. I'm younger than you, as I like to remind you as often as possible. But I feel safe going to work there. And I think, you know, we were both a little hesitant at the beginning of 
summer camp of you know what's the point and is it worth going but i think you know after these three weeks we're kind of committed to with you know alternating as we have to because it's one person per outlet keeping that up so i mean how safe do you feel there i feel 100 percent safe uh you know if you can feel 100 percent, but yeah i mean it's been, yeah it's been fine i mean i've you know i've always been nervous probably like taking extra precautions than other people you know like sanitizing groceries and and doing everything so like i'm gonna get a little obsessive about you know things touching uh, touching surfaces and stuff like that but as they've said if they've come out with new information obviously you know covid is isn't passed on through surfaces as much so um but they space us out uh you can sit outside if you want in the press box the windows are open and so it's like you're outside there too so yeah i mean i i feel safe and and you know it's going to be kind of cool to cover a game that where there's no fans yeah i felt that and i went to the exhibition game uh, on tuesday night and obviously it was a tune-up but it was kind of a you, you feel lucky that you are one of the you know there's there's probably less than a couple hundred people um other than the players probably a lot less than that you know in, in the actual ballpark from being there um obviously a lot of inter-squad games um a lot of simulated games uh, and a lot of issues with the pitching staff what were your impressions from summer camp to me it was it was kind of jarring and, and striking to see how good some of the offensive players looked. I mean, J.D. Martinez hit three, I think, three home runs during camp, another during the exhibition game. Um, you know, guys really were swinging the bat well, and the prediction was that these hitters would be well behind the pitchers. I don't know if this is an indictment on how bad the Red Sox pitching staff is or if these hitters just actually um, were able to catch up really quickly. Yeah, I think it might be the other way around. I've always thought it that way because, you know, the pitchers are only – working for three weeks it's a limited spring training i mean they get six weeks in spring training and they're usually there way before that and so they've got a short time to get ready i think the hitters can be you know ready uh more ready to go than the pitchers uh, in terms of impressions i mean obviously i feel that the devers is a little overweight um mm -hmm. and he doesn't look like he's in as good a shape as he was at spring training um so it's, it's an important he didn't look good defensively it's important yeah. year for him, though, I mean, because with Mookie Betts gone, he's got to be, you know, as good as he was on offense last year. He's no longer a complimentary piece. He's featured, yes. you know. Yeah. The other thing that impressed me was, you know, some of the guys like Matt Hall, um, you know, in Colton Brewer. Um, you know, it's, it, as I've talked about on the podcast the last time, it's going to be interesting to see how Renneke uses his pitching staff aggressively. You know, especially now where he's, he has no pitching, you know, he has no starting rotation pretty much. He's going to have to use, you know, his pitching staff aggressively. And some of those guys are pretty interesting, like Matt Hall got a lot of strikeouts last year, uh, you know, and, and a guy like Colton Brewer, who's always had, you know, good stuff and good movement on his pitches. It's just, you know, and, and actually he was very good towards the end of last year for the second half of the last year. So. Uh, I like how some of the relief pitches pitched, and I like how, how all the offense pitched. A little concerned with Devers' defense. Uh, but overall, you know, it should be interesting going into uh, to tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and obviously, you know, the big question mark for the Red Sox is going to be this starting rotation, exactly what it looks like. Uh, they have Nathan Evaldi, Martin Perez, and Ryan Weber are the three guys that they're going to have in that rotation. And after that, it really is a bunch of question marks, you know, whether that is, um, 
Matt Hall, Jeffrey Springs, and Chris Maz is a guy who got uh, cut today from the opening day roster. They have two newcomers in Zach Godley and uh, Dylan Covey, who both were just called up. Um, Matt, from your view, does this pitching staff have any chance? I mean, it's a lot of no names and it's a lot of guys that if you're not there day to day, you know, it might be, you know, hard to really see who these guys are. But what are these guys? I mean, do they have any chance in your mind? So in, in a 162 game season, they'd have no chance. What this is right now is every time you get past Evaldi and I suppose Perez, you're looking at a scenario where it's like you're on, you're rolling the dice on a monopoly board and you're coming to that fourth side and somebody else owns all of the greens as well as boardwalk and park place. And you're trying <laughs> just to get through that, those turns. And so if you can land on a railroad or chance or something, when Dylan Covey pitches, like maybe, you know, either outslug somebody eight to seven or he pitches four salt you you come out of the he comes out of the game tied five five you're feeling pretty good about that so you need the the fourth and fifth slots and maybe the third fourth and fifth slots to really have great run support on those yep. days and so to get those to get good performances out of your offense early on when everybody's fourth and fifth starters are struggling. If you can win some of those games in slugfests, you've got a chance in hoping that either some one of those guys catches lightning in the bottle for a couple of weeks, and then maybe Eduardo Rodriguez comes back and gives you a shot in the arm. Um, now, that's the, now, that's really a best-case scenario. That, that It's hard to picture it, it happening. But over 60 games, like, like you said, could, 60 games, anything can happen. Yeah, and I think today, you know, was was kind of surprising news. Obviously, that we heard from Ron Renicky and um, Chris. You wrote about this earlier, but Eduardo Rodriguez, who had recovered from COVID, was talking to us the other day about how bad it had made him feel, and it was not an asymptomatic battle. It was a legitimate, you know, worst he's ever felt, and felt like he was 100 years old and all of that stuff. Eduardo apparently has minor complications from this. The team was pretty vague, but it's clear that there's some lingering effects. I'm not sure if that's like a, a lung or a pneumonia type thing or if there's um, fatigue, but they're trying to be, you know, um, very vague on it for obvious reasons. It's not a baseball injury where they want to get too deep into it. They're going to shut him down for a week. Um, you know, Renicky seemed today like he was pretty sure that Erod would be back during the season and said that everybody in the organization felt that way. But even a week or two weeks or three, I mean, this guy's out for three weeks. That's close to half your season or more than a third of your season that uh, he's out and the Red Sox can't afford that at all. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I've been you know talking about since the beginning is, you know, you, you need Eduardo, you need uh, uh, Evaldi and you need Perez to make pretty much all their starts. And now the, the, this is really setting Eduardo back. So, you know, we probably won't see him built up to, if he comes back, you know, even, and we won't see him built up to 85, 90 pitches till maybe halfway through the year. Um, obviously, they can use him, you know, an inning, two innings, three innings, build those those uh, build those innings up per start in the majors. Right. Um, I think that's almost like, inevitable now. Yeah. But like, you know, but but eventually, you know, he's not going to get built up to five, six innings until halfway through the season because the season's mm -hmm. so short. So, yeah, this is kind of a, you know, this is obviously not good for the Red Sox. And Matt, going back to what you were saying and, and talking about matchups and stuff, I think when you look at the pitching probables for this weekend, you say, all right, Nathan Evaldi against Tommy Malone, the Red Sox 
clear advantage there. Martin Perez against Alex Cobb, who since signing with Baltimore has been absolutely atrocious, probably an advantage there. And even, you know, Ryan Weber against Wade LeBlanc for, that's you know, uh, probably two of the strangest and uh, maybe worst names that you could see at number three matchup uh, I've ever seen. So <laughs> you, you can get through a Baltimore series. But here, and I listed this out, and this is a rough estimate because you don't know how teams are going to be mixing and matching. And uh, I took into account off days. But the Red Sox next four series, here are the guys there probably going to face as of right now against the Mets at home, Steven Matz and Michael Waka, which is okay, but you're going to have, you know, maybe Brian Johnson and Colton Brewer pitching those games, whatever you get then to the road trip. This is the gauntlet. The Red Sox will face on this road trip as it stands right now. Uh, Jacob deGrom in the first game, Marcus Stroman in the second game against the Mets. You get to Yankee stadium right now. It looks like Jay Happ, Jordan Montgomery. And then on Sunday night baseball, Garrett Cole, and then you go down to Tampa and you face Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. So you have, to recap, you know, in a seven-game stretch, DeGrom, Stroman, Hap, Cole, Morton, and Snell. Um, that is, you know, just a little snippet of what this early part of the season looks like for the Red Sox, but that's almost impossible to envision them being above 500 in those games when you have uh, 60% of your games being started by Ryan Weber. Uh, who seems like a nice guy. I don't mean to keep ragging on him, but it's it's just unbelievable that, you know, they're at that point at their number three. And Brian Johnson, Zach Godley, Dylan Covey, Marcus Walden might be the opener. I mean, you look at those names and you look at the names I just listed off, Cole, Morton, Snell, DeGrom. It's hard to see this team getting off to a good start like that, Matt. Yeah, no, and and you don't, you don't have the luxury of coming back. As, as you said before, you lose Eduardo Rodriguez for a couple of weeks. It's a large percentage of the season. So same idea you last year after 60 games the nationals weren't very good and they rallied during the world series but you don't have that kind of you don't have that kind of luxury right now i mean and so you need you need things to you need at least to hang on early and so you, you you've got to take you've got to take several of those games in in yeah, that stretch and you you've got and now, now you've got hitters you've got hitters that can that can that could do that, but but you got to figure, um, you you you've got to figure even if you can put up, you know, even if you can put up four runs on, even if you can put up four runs on Degrom, you know, somebody Dylan Dylan Covey, I'm looking at, at Fangraphs right now, he has never had a, a his best uh, 60 game stretch in his life, his ERA is just under five. Yeah, if you put him up against any of those pitchers, that's a loss. <laughs> right, I know it's it's crazy. I think you know we've seen. Bloom, we knew that he was going to be aggressive at the back end of the roster. We That was his MO coming in. We saw all those guys that were added over the winter. Um, you know, and a lot of them did make the opening day roster today. Matt Hall, Jeffrey Springs, Austin Bryce, Josh Osich. There are 11 guys who, who did not play for the Red Sox in 2019 that are on the 30-man roster. I think that speaks to the amount of turnover. I mean, none of them are stars. Obviously, you have a couple guys that are notable in Pilar, uh, Verdugo, um, and even Jose Peraza, who Ron Renneke talks about, like he's the star of camp. Kevin Ploiecki, Jonathan Luke Croy, a couple guys, a catcher. Um, but even in these last couple weeks, when it seems like it's really hard to make a transaction, I mean, it, Bloom himself said the other day that, that these teams are not focused on making transactions. They're focused on all the health and safety protocols, and there's not that many guys that are out there. We've seen two trades, period, both made by the Padres, who always run to the beat of their own drums. So it's not a surprise that they're the outlier organization here. And then really, you know, just 
to free agent signings and guys that have been cut from camp. The Red Sox, Chris, obviously as aggressive as I guess they can be in this period, picking up both Zach Godley, who uh, was released by the Tigers, and Dylan Covey, who had an opt-out in his Rays deal. It just, to me, feels like those types of moves are going to keep coming until something sticks, or they're going to have to you know, check the market out, and if the trade market presents a legitimate Major League starter, they're going to have to go after him in the next couple weeks. Yeah, right now I think it's important that you know you rely on the strengths of these certain pitchers. As Alex Scorer used to always say, you know, it's about matchups. And you know, you look at a guy like Colton Brewer, really good spin rate. Um, how can he be most effective? You look at uh, you know Godley. He's got a pretty pretty good cutter that he showed yesterday. He's also uses curveball. You know, forty percent of the time it's a, a very similar to his cutter. Well, where where can he be most effective against which team and which lineup? And you really have to, you know, be creative. You have to use the numbers. You have to use the sabermetrics big time to get through this. And if they can get through this and they can get to the trade deadline, you know, still in still, you know, still contending. And they should be still contending at that point because, you know, the, the um, playoff field is ex- expanded. Then, then you go. Spoiler alert for our next yeah. conversation. What's that? Spoiler alert for our next conversation, but, but go yeah, ahead. But it's, it's difficult, you know, because the player safety, I mean, you know, you're talking about trading players and, and they they have to take commercial flights and, you know, extra getting Ubers and things like that. And it's, it's not that I live out of a hotel in their new city. And so it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a very diff, it's It's a very um, uncomfortable situation for somebody that gets traded. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. I think, the good news for the Red Sox is that they have 30 players on their roster and they have 15 pitchers that they can mix and match with, at least for the first two weeks. The bad news for especially us is that these games are going to be extremely long. Obviously the three batter minimum uh, will help some, but when we're going inning by inning for these pitchers and uh, they're hitting that three batter minimum without recording any outs, I think um, these games are going to get long really fast. We just talked, you just teased the expanded playoff format. And that literally, uh, as I hit record to start this, uh, came into our inbox as being official. 16 teams get into the playoffs, which is over half the league, if my math is correct, as a journalism major. Um, that's up from 10. It looks like the top two teams in every division are going to get in, and then the two best teams uh, other than those top six are going to get in. I think that makes 16. Um, This obviously is a huge boost to the Red Sox playoff chances. They are right in that middle to back of the pack. That is probably in that 10 to 16 range or in the American League, that 5 to 8, 5 to 10 range that teams are all going to be bunched up. Um, and I think this is a massive, massive blow to teams like the Astros, Yankees, and Dodgers, who uh, were probably going to cruise to the postseason, but now have to face, have to play in a best of three um, wild card series or whatever they're going to call it to start. Um, Matt, I'll start with you on this one. I mean, is this going to be? And we just talked about the trade deadline a little bit, but is this going to be something where teams are? fooled by the chance of making the playoffs and playing October baseball and they mortgage parts of their future to get into a field and basically play two games. I mean, we see teams every year do that with the wild card game. You add six more teams to the mix. And first of all, there's going to be a lot of buyers and not that many sellers at this deadline when everybody is 500 at on August 25th. But um, is this going to fool teams into making stupid moves? Well, I'm, I'm really curious to see just how the, the trade deadline works this year because I think I think you're going to look at a lot of teams that are still 
feel like they're not sure what they have. It's it's going to come on you so fast to determine just how good they can they can be. I think I think if if you're a team, and I, I think the Red Sox might be one of these teams. If you look at it and say that this is a year with everything that's gone wrong, all the guys that you've dealt, the guys that are Chris Sale being hurt, Eduardo Rodriguez. If the Red Sox approach this and say, what can we get for Nathan Evaldi maybe is might be one of them. And so like if you start thinking in that direction right away and targeting who might need that help, you might have a chance to to. And, and Bloom is certainly capable of this kind of farm system redevelopment. Right. And without the emotional attachment or the investment in most of these guys. Right, exactly. I mean, right now, Nathan Avaldi already looks like a bad contract. I mean, mm-hmm. just from, from the, be- the beginning, because of his health situation, it's hard to picture that's going to get better. So if you're the Red Sox, this is a kooky year anyway. You've got all sorts of things that are, that are, that are in flux if you look at this year as, as a chance to to rebuild and, and make some moves, and if you let's say Matt Barnes gets hot and all of a sudden you know he's got a terrific, you know he's, he's had terrific numbers going into the trade deadline, maybe he's a guy that that uh, that you can get something for because relievers are always valuable. That Brandon Workman's not that young; he's having yep. a great he's a free, run. He's a free agent after the year. Yeah. So even I mean, they'll, I, I think there'll be probably be some. J.D. Martinez interest if you can – I'm not – one of you guys might know his contract better than I, I would. But if he – if he, you're worried right, about him – Well, he's going to opt out, out after the year now, so. Right. So, I don't know. It seems, seems like there's – seems like if the Red Sox um, – the worst thing that could happen to the Red Sox is get off to a, a great start and and then over – you're right. If teams that – look at the teams that think that they're going to be contenders that are, have fool's gold there. And I, I think that happened to the Red Sox a little bit last year. They had that that stretch against. I think they had that that stretch. They had the, the Sunday night baseball win against the Yankees, and all of a sudden they they thought, hey, it, they've got it going. They traded for Kashner, and and then things fell apart shortly after. And they might have gotten right. something for for guys a year ago. And so mm-hmm. I think I think uh, I think the Red Sox need to at least go in thinking having a you know having plans down two paths uh trying to win but at the same time being ready to be sellers i would not be i'm not as afraid of the fool's gold thing with bloom as i would be with dombrowski obviously just the the way they operate is is different um and bloom with the rays the rays and some other teams um have kind of revolutionized the trade deadline by not being buyers or sellers but the rays over the last couple years even while being in contention, have sold some key pieces, and and we've seen those kind of deals. So I could see them doing that. And obviously, when you look at Red Sox trade candidates, it's you know Brandon Workman, as you mentioned. Um, it's crazy. This is opening day, and we're talking about the trade deadline. But I just looked at it. The trade deadline is five weeks from Monday, so uh, it's going to come up on us quickly here. Um, well, look at it this way: we're it's it's almost July 31st, and we're talking about the trade yeah, deadline. Yeah, exactly. We're a week away from 31st. Um, Workman's a free agent. Jackie Bradley's a free agent. Mitch Moreland has an option for next year. Martin Perez, even I don't know if they trade him. I, I think we'd get to pitch, um, or Fauci would get to pitch after his display tonight <laughs> in DC. But um, I, was look, I was looking for an opening to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. It, I, someone I saw someone tweet out that he he tried to throw throw a curve and he ended up flattening it, which is just such low hanging fruit. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's check that out, folks, if you haven't seen it. But um, 
you, know, you look at these guys, Jackie Bradley, Mitch Moreland, uh, Kevin Pillar. I mean, if you really look at who the Red Sox have as a core, Raphael Devers, Xander Bogarts, Alex Verdugo, maybe Andrew Benintendi kind of stand out as the guys that they want to build around in the future. Benintendi, I really, I guess I wouldn't put in that group. But other than that, it might be uh, kind of a free-for-all. Um, I think I'll, I'll ask two questions. That uh, One question was one that I asked of Sam Kennedy today. Um, and I'll ask the same of you guys. Are you more or less confident that they get through a 60-game season and the postseason than you are at the beginning of summer camp? We'll start with Smith on that one. Yeah, so I wasn't confident at the beginning of summer camp, and now I am a little I'm, – I'm more confident, I think, that from what I've seen. However, we're going to see a lot in the next week or two with travel. Um, you know, it's interesting to see what the – you know, there's, there's so many – I was going to go through all the safety rules on the road um, and write something up on that because there's also some recommendations. You know, it's not like things are set in stone that you have to do this, you have to do that. They're, you know – Baseball like highly recommends that you don't take Ubers on the road and stuff like that. I wonder if the, when the Red Sox are going to Florida to play, you know, the Rays or do they have do they play in Miami this year? Whether, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So whether they actually, as a team, say, okay, this is you know, we're not going by Major League Baseball guidelines. We're going by our own guidelines, you know. And you know, like you have to get on the team bus at this time. You have to you have to take the team bus. You have to do this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it should be interesting. I mean, you know, we we saw with, uh, you know, Soto today, um, he played against, uh, you know, Baltimore, who's coming to town. So um, once the teams start traveling, I think we'll we'll really get to see if the season's going to happen or not. Um, I'm really interested to see the the coronavirus numbers in, you know, what the the coronavirus numbers the MLB gives us in two weeks. Yeah, I think you know today that Soto thing is is it kind of shows you the domino effects that could happen. Right. I mean, he played, he was tested on Tuesday. There's some reports coming out that he might've been a false positive. He's completely asymptomatic. And um, there's, you know, there is, has been concern about MLB's test being too sensitive, which is better than them not being sensitive enough, but still uh, can be an issue. Uh, I saw some reports that he could have been uh, a false positive, but assuming he is a real positive, he tested positive on Tuesday, played in an exhibition game against the Baltimore Orioles and the Orioles now are coming to Fenway um, these teams travel fast. These are two or three game series, you know, and, and it's possible to be tested in one city and not get your results back until you get to another. So this is how the whole house of cards, you know, folds. Matt, I'll ask you the same question about your confidence at this point compared to where it was three, four weeks ago. Well, the Soto situation certainly doesn't help, but, and I keep comparing things back to the NBA in the NHL, but what baseball also has that's, that's potentially problematic is they, they're going to have teams and players involved they're when they're out of contention yep. when hockey and basketball end they're out and those so those guys like and I, I think teams in contention i think the rays i think the yankees probably you know um are probably going to be pretty adherent to the to the guidelines but if you look at a team that's just out absolutely out of contention and you're in Miami and you've had a you know you've had a long year and all of a sudden the idea of going out in South Beach sounds appealing and then like so what what's the worst that happens to you? You get fined, you get suspended, you don't want to play anyway right. at that point. And on top of that, what happens if guys um somebody sprains an ankle? Do they like, you know, are they slow at coming back if your team is out of the mix? Because mm-hmm. you because you don't because you, there's there's no motivation to get back 
in that scenario. So, and, and we saw that and, this and, week with with Colin McHugh. I mean, he he did not yeah. feel like his elbow was progressing to the point where he really wanted to push it and and risk you know future seasons and risk his health. So he he opted out. You know, that's that's a very possible situation for a lot of guys. Yeah. So I, I think I I think the combination of that and guys having very little to lose late in the season as 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 you're out of contention, I think that's when you run the risk of, of guys not being careful. And they're not just risking it for their own team. I mean, guys are going to, on some level, be interacting with with umpires. They're going to be interacting with with other players and and on other teams. And at, at some point, that's you, you're putting somebody at risk. Yeah, definitely. I'll end it with this because it's been a long day of a lot of Zoom calls from Fenway Park. Uh, you know, Chris, I know. Uh, for you tomorrow will be another long day because you get the privilege of um, you bullied me out of getting to go to Fenway Park for opening day um, because I went to Seattle last year, which I honestly trade getting a Seattle four or five days in Seattle versus one game in an empty ballpark wearing a mask. I'll, that's a great trade. If you want to do that in the future, let's do it again. Um, I want to get to tell my grandchildren someday that I was I covered the first ever game at Fenway Park without fans. Yes. And you already act like your <laughs> grandfather age now. So that works. Unless you, count, unless you count the baseball bean pods, which I've covered numerous times before, <laughs> and there are no fans that easy. How do you how do you think Mark Topkin feels every day, and the <laughs> uh, the, the Rays writers, um, low hanging fruit again? But um, Chris, I want a bold prediction about the Red Sox, and then a, a prediction on their record, and then a yes or no on if they make the playoffs. Three rapid fire. Wait a minute, a bold prediction on the Red Sox? Yes, bold prediction on the Red Sox of their record, and will they make the playoffs? 30 and 30 record will they make the playoffs yeah that's really way to take a stand (laughs) and um but bold prediction okay so how about we go outside the box with like a player like jackie bradley jr or nathan evaldi okay nathan evaldi for cy young or jackie bradley jr for al mvp al mvp because all right we've seen either of those things happen they're going to be better than 30 and 30 okay so great so whatever but listen to my point now. We, we've yeah. seen Jackie Bradley. Well, none of my, none of, none, nothing I'm saying correlates, but just listen anyway, says Chris Smith. We've seen Jackie Bradley be the best hitter in baseball for two months before. We've seen that in 2015. We've seen guys like, you know, Doug Fister, you know, go on the best seven-game run of a season with the Red Sox. I think it was in 2016 or 2017. We saw Rich mm-hmm. Hill was the best pitcher in September, like 5-0 and with a sub to DRA. The season's so short. It's somebody who, um, you know, wouldn't be able to win a Cy Young or wouldn't be able to win an MVP in over a 162-game season might sneak up and win it. So I think the, that's my bold prediction is either Jackie Bradley Jr. or Nathan Avaldi will be in the running for one of those two awards. And do they make the playoffs at 30-30? and 30? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean – I, I just don't think they're a very good team, um, but I mean they're they're good enough uh, probably to make the playoffs and expand the situation. So yeah. Matt Votor, final word of the same three questions: bold prediction, record, and do they make the playoffs? Rafael Devers leads the American League in home runs. Okay. Twenty twenty-seven and thirty-three. No. All right. Mine would be. Um, Either Andrew Benatendi or Jackie Bradley Jr. is not that bold, but one of them is not playing by the end of the season, and they've been completely replaced by an outfield that is includes Verdugo and Pilar um, because uh, I think it's inevitable that one of them struggles and just falls out of favor and just doesn't play. 
I will say they are 25 and 35, and they don't make the playoffs. So you Chris think Smith, that Ben the, not gonna like he he could possibly not play well, and they wouldn't play him. I think the leash is short on both of them. Yeah, I think it's that short on both of them because um, you don't have time to be bad. This guy guaranteed five million for next year already. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's still it's in sixty games. I mean, it, that was also before they had Verdugo. I don't know. I I think it's uh, it's. I mean, you might. Be I right. just think that the leash is short. It's so. an important year for him. It is. It's an important year for everybody. It gets underway tomorrow. By the time you're listening to this, we can call it tonight. Chris Smith will be there. I will be on my couch watching with bated breath and seeing if I can catch a glimpse of Chris Smith um, in the press box with his mask that keeps falling off every two seconds on Zoom calls. Needs to get that fixed before the season. Yep. And I'm sure the Red Sox are thrilled about that for insurance purposes. (laughs) Actually, I got a new one. So it's like a it's like a scarf thing that goes over your neck. It's like the one that Bloom's been wearing. Oh, good. I got it, I got it in the mail the other day. So I got it in the mail oh, like Saturday. Yeah, just the other day. So I'm pretty excited about wearing that one tomorrow. Yeah, well, you're in you're you're in in uh, shape for opening day. So that's Matt Votor and Chris Smith. I'm Chris Cotillo. The Fenway Rundown podcast will be with you throughout the season, and we finally, for as long as we can have it, have real baseball to talk about.